0: Welcome, especially for the people who just came in. Uh, it's good to see you guys, Stephen. So good you—it's good you brought some extra people. My name is Christian. I'm the pastor, and so therefore that I'm speaking now. But um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, so we have. Uh, I'm plus forty, so I'll be using glasses in my sermon also. And I've been doing this for a couple of years. Lee is the one who was before me. Enough about that. We're in the book of Matthew. And, um, so you can take your Bible, go to Matthew three. Uh, I, I, I had already said to you that wasn't going to make it past. Um, I wasn't going to make it through all of three. Uh, so that's why we have to, uh, we have to start with the Jesus's baptism there. Uh, but before I, uh, before we get to the reading, I just want to uh, say a few things as an introduction. Um, and and it's uh, it's what Paul and Peter write, and it's what what uh, Lee was saying during communion and most of the time when we come together it's to remind one another of who God is of who Jesus is of what Jesus has done and for maybe so maybe then for some of you this is just going to be you be remember that you being, what do you say? Being reminded. Yes, thank you. <laughs> being reminded about what Jesus has done. Maybe for some of you this is new. Uh, but today, just to introduce the topic, I called it, uh, well, I just called it baptism and temptation of Jesus. But I also called it identity and temptation. And so, if we, if we look around us in the world, the world... And a lot of people seem to be very confused about who they really are and what their identity is. And there seems to be this general narrative that identity is something that you achieve or you create. Uh, I will say that it's the opposite. I'll get to that at some point that the only true identity we can have is one that is given because if it's achieved it can also be lost so that's going to be the 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 title and what we're going to look into Uh, but first we will read the text so let's read together Uh, and if Jonathan you can go through yes thank you And last time we heard about John the Baptist, and so now Jesus comes walking to John the Baptist. Then Jesus came from Galilee to to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. That's when I paused and put on my glasses. Sorry about that. Um... But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, in their glory. And he said to, the, and said to him, All these I give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, and, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. This is this is one of these amazingly beautiful passages where we see the one, that amazing God we have in a picture like creation we see here the trinity visibly displayed as jesus goes into the water god the son he comes out the heavens are flung open the spirit comes down in the form of a dove and we have the voice of the father what a beautiful picture of the god that we serve that was just something i wanted to say um but as we look at the text, Jesus comes, uh, like we talked about last time, Jesus was a baby, now he's not a baby anymore, um, and he comes to be baptized by John. And John tries to stop Jesus uh, by saying, because he just described who Jesus is, and he's described that he will be the King of Kings, uh, the Lord of Lords, the one who will baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John is hesitant to baptize Jesus because I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says, uh, he actually doesn't give a really (laughs) long explanation. He just says, uh, let's just do it, John. That's how we do it. Later on, we can maybe look back on this and when we remember Jesus asks the Pharisees and the Sadducees, was John's baptism from heaven? And they don't want to answer. But Jesus, by being baptized by John, shows that he's in the same path of John. He identifies with what, Je- what John is doing. And in a sense, he also ad- identifies with us as he calls us to be baptized. We see yeah well, that's what i just said <laughs> said before, like we see that jesus was baptized in seventeen uh in verse 16, uh, sixteen seventeen and what ha- what happens there is is, a, is so amazingly beautiful, God speaking over his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and then commentaries and other people's like he, the way he says this it's a it's a call back to psalm 2 4 and no, no, 2 7 where it says that jesus is the, the divinely appointed king and to isaiah uh, that he is in 41 that he is the one that was coming the servant of the lord and later on the one who would also be pierced for our transgressions Why does all this happen? Why is Jesus being baptized? And why is God speaking over Jesus? Well, I have to remember Jesus has done, he had not really done anything. In Matthew, he's done nothing. He's been born and he's been running back and forth from, in, uh, not India, from, from Egypt with his family. But he hasn't done anything. So God encourages Jesus. He empowers Jesus. He shows to Jesus and to the people around him who Jesus is and to give to Jesus a true identity. Remember, Jesus is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. He needs to know that his father loves him. He needs to know that his Father has empowered him to this, to this task that he's going to do. That before he does anything, what the Father speaks over him is, I am well pleased with you. I love you. The Holy Spirit then rests on Jesus as a sign that he is the one anointed and empowered by God. So even from this early stage, before Jesus' ministry starts, Jesus could rest in what God had spoken over him. Jesus had achieved nothing at this point. He hadn't been preaching. He hadn't been healing people. God spoke over him because of who Jesus was. not what he did. A call to rest before doing. A call to have the Sabbath before working. A call to have an identity before living. And as I said in the beginning, I believe that there is There's actually only two identities that are true and that are given by God. Because if we make up our own identity, we will always be able to lose it. Whatever you put your identity in, it can be taken away from you. Like sports people, I'm the world's best. Well, then you become the world's former best. And then you become the world's former, former best. And you can take whatever that is. I'm, I'm a librarian. Well, then you're a retired librarian, or you get fired and you're not a librarian. I'm a student, well, only for a certain amount of time. I'm a pensionist, well, for a while. So whatever we put our identity into, or whatever we ach- want to achieve it to be, all those things can be taken away from us and you can imagine a lot more tragic ones I'm a parent well only if I have children and so on we can go on and on and on that all these identities we make up ourselves they can be taken away Either by tracking circumstances or good circumstances, because you go say, "Well, I am a single person. That's my identity." Well, what if you get married? Then you have a new identity. So there's only identity has to be given, not something you achieve. And then again, we see this beautiful, beautiful picture. You know, like everything's so good. God the Father speaks over the Son, you know, the Holy Spirit comes on him and everything's amazing. And then the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. Because now we have the shift that we see all the time that we've been talking about. God acts amazingly, and now there will be opposition and testing. Will Jesus pass the test? Will he believe in his identity? Adam, Adam and Eve didn't. The Israelites didn't in the in the in the desert. And we didn't because we rebelled against God as well. So he's led into the spirit. He's not led into the spirit. He's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, Arnold and I, we talked after last service about fasting. And so, if you've never fasted before, don't start with 40 days and 40 nights. It's something maybe you should to take some practice to do 40 days and 40 nights. But Jesus is in there, he's fasting, 40 days, 40 nights, you can symbolically... The Israelites are in the desert 40 years they're complaining they don't have food as soon as they get into the desert and they're complaining Moses you let us out here to kill us so there's some parallels back and even more powerful is how Jesus responds so Jesus is pretty hungry and the echo from also from Echo from uh, the temptation of uh, what Adam and Eve comes the same way. Because the main accusation here against Jesus is if you are the Son of God, then command these breads, not to <laughs> command these stones to become bread. In Jesus, opposite the Israelites, says, I'm not, so, I'm, not so, I'm not supposed to just live on bread. I'm supposed to live on the words that comes from God. It's a great response. He doesn't start arguing with the devil and say, Hey, I am, I am the Son of God. No, he just responds with the word of God and said, says, No, I will not do that. I will not give in and try to prove myself for you, I will receive and listen to the Word of God even in this situation. Jesus does not satisfy himself or his flesh. Jesus knew his mission so this wasn't, this wasn't the time this was not how he was going to do this it was not the time to satisfy himself the day was coming when Jesus was going to fulfill this as we, you might know we read in John that Jesus is the bread of life the true bread that comes from heaven to satisfy us, not like the manna in the wilderness, but the true bread, not something to be gathered every day, but the uh, the real true bread so the second temptation is', um, is very uh, this is very tri- this is very uh, you know uh, it, uh, tricky, this is very smart of the devil. Because the devil starts quoting scripture back now. Uh, Jesus has just defeated him with scriptures. And then the devil uh, takes scripture. And he says, hey, how about you drop off the temple? Because the Bible says that that the angels will uh, save you. And you won't get hurt. There's uh, there's some... (laughs) There's some ways we can use scripture in the correct way, and there's some ways we can use it in the wrong way. When scripture is quoted to satisfy your own things, instead of understanding that's a whole, that's to show us the beauty of God, then that's the wrong way to use scripture. The scripture as a whole, not to be pitted against each other, or to get people to do stupid things like this. Because that, that scripture had never had the intention that Jesus on purpose would throw himself off of something. So don't use scripture in that way. <laughs> and don't do something dumb to ask, oh, if I, do this to <laughs> if I do this dumb thing, then God has said he will take care of me. Yes, he will. But that's not a license for you to bring yourself in danger. Uh, our lives are going to be full enough of problems. There's no reason to make more problems to tempt God. We don't have to create more problems in our lives. There's, there, will be, there will be plenty. So the devil is trying to get him jump, to jump off the temple. <laughs> and the, but the accusation, the accusation is interesting. It's two different things, but the accusation is still the same. It's still about identity. So again, he goes after, if you are the son of God, prove to me that you are the son of God. Jesus then, knowing scripture just as well as the devil, says, no. The scripture says, don't tempt God. And don't test the goodness of God by distrusting God. And don't try to prove Hmm. Oh, sorry. So Jesus, he responds that I'm I'm not going to test the goodness of God. I'm going to be trusting in God and not try to prove myself to you, the devil, because I'm not living for you. I'm living for God. So that's a question for us is tempted, is like, what about us? Like today, maybe some of you have tried this, or at least sometimes you, I hear people that are living themselves, trying to prove themselves, either to be good enough for themselves, be good enough for their parents. Some people live their whole life to prove somebody wrong, to impress people. People in, cl- in your class, people at work, prove to people that hurt us we can do better. Or somebody who said something really nasty to you a long time ago, I'll prove them they're wrong. They said I couldn't make it. I'll make it. <coughs> so, like, who are you trying to prove something to, and why? Why did Jesus not prove himself? Or did he actually prove who he was by the way he responded? Jesus, again, he arrests in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he believes in what the Father has spoken over his baptism. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Are you arresting in your identity? And what is your identity? The third temptation is, is pretty known to this world as well. It's about power and fame and glory and worship. The final temptation. The devil takes him up to some place where he can see all the kingdoms of the world in a glimpse of time. And he says, I will give you all of this. All you have to do is just bow down and worship me. I'll give it all to you. And also just remembering in all of these things uh, that the devil is a liar. So just remember that also. But all you have to do and get everything you want is just worship me, says the devil. But this is just as crazy as when Adam and Eve was tempted and fell. The temptation that the enemy came with to Adam and Eve was, do you you want to be like God? But they were already like God, they were made in His image. So they believed a lie, that they weren't like God. Here, the devil is offering something that's already Jesus's. We know that, or from the Bible, it's stated that everything was made through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus already owns all those things. So it's pretty weak, even, temptation. And a lie. The devil doesn't have the power. To give what he offers and in this case jesus goes like be gone one translation i thought it was really p- pretty funny he's like beat it i thought that was funny uh, so he says like go away beat it this test everybody else failed before Jesus as we talked about Adam and Eve the Israelites us Adam and Eve fell by the temptation not to trust in what God has said but believed in what the enemy said they fell for the tricks of the evil one Jesus corrects him with scripture instead No, I will not worship you. Because this is the truth. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him you shall serve only. This is also the first and greatest commandment. Now, I just wanted to share, this is a story from my life, because I heard this in in Sunday school, which was on a Friday when I was a kid, uh, which has nothing to do with it. But I remember teaching on this, and I was like, okay. So I remember the teachings, which is good, but I didn't understand it totally. So the way it was related to me was, if somebody shows up at home and has a bunch of money in a, in a suitcase, then you shouldn't worship them. I was like, I got that. I was like, okay, I get it. I mean, I'm not going to do that. That never happened. Oh. Nobody ever showed up at my door (laughs) with a suitcase full of money saying, hey, if you worship me, you get the money. But I was ready for that. But I think I misunderstood what it meant. (laughs) So I've never, I've never worshipped the the devil that way. But I think I misunderstood what worship was about. Because all the things I have done wrong in my life all the things I did where I did worship other things. It wasn't about the man with a bunch of money. It's about giving worth to a lots of things that is not God.. So it's not just only physically bowing down, it's what we bow down to our, in our minds. It's what we worship when we don't worship Jesus. So let's be aware of this. Let's be aware that when we fear or hold other things or people higher than Jesus, we are failing to only worship God. And these are like trivial examples, but you can make a lot of examples yourself. How excited are you when your national team wins a soccer game? How excited are you when your local team wins some sporting events? Does that excitement go higher than how excited you are about Jesus? Your children, your spouse? Are they worshipped more than God? Does your job have such a big place? And you put so much energy and identity... Time into your job has that become something you worship? What really gets you excited? What and is it the the praise you hunt from other people? Is it this pursuit of wanting to become a person, of becoming the person that that you think other people think you should be? Is it worshipping money? You say, I don't worship money. No, no, okay, that's okay. But if you think money is going to solve all your problems, there's a good chance that you're worshipping money. Is it the hunt for sex, relationships, drugs, alcohol, even reversing it? Is your idol to be a good Christian? that you are portrayed as one that's helpful in serving, a nice person, by like anyone. Is your idol be a good witness? Is your idol to prove to everybody that you, uh, that uh, is your idol to prove to everyone that you are worthy to be loved by God and others? That could also be a form of idol worship. It's just the other way around. So, to the points, I think there is true primary identities. We can be children of wrath, or we can be children of God. The main identity everyone has is that they are created in the image of God. I messed that one totally up. Okay. <laughs> everyone has the identity of being made in the image of God. That's why all human beings have value, dignity, and worth. From there, there's two identities. Either we're children of rebellion and wrath. We're adopted into God's family <coughs> as his children. We talked about judgment last time. That judgment and repentance is a call for something better. Come back to God. Believe in Jesus, what he's done for you. And serve him as Lord King and Savior so the children of God has been adopted by grace through faith we have come to understand that Jesus died for what we did wrong and we want to live our lives as worship unto him where are you where do you stand and are you firm in your identity but I plead with you, if you're a child of wrath, don't be for a new identity. <laughs> Run and come to Jesus for new life and new identity, that you will be a child of God adopted into God's family. If you don't, you can spend your whole life changing who you are. And there's many places and, and, and many people will tell you who you should be and a lot of times they would say they should be exactly like themselves. And the invitation that I'm giving you is not to become like me. And you should not come to me. That's why I'm different. You shouldn't come and be like me. No, you should come and be, come to Jesus and be like Him. And for us and for you who is a child of God, there's just there's so much praise, so much glory to God here. Because he's been so faithful with you and with me. But how much do you rest in that you are his? Is the refrain the same? I am a child of God. I hold on to that when I am nervous. I hold on to that in all the trials and temptations that the devil comes against me with. Because Peter says, it's clear, if we stand firm, the devil will go away, just like he did with Jesus. So do we rest in what Jesus did, in that he lived, he died, and he rose, and he's coming back? Is that your sure and steady foundation, the rock that cannot be moved, also in your daily life? Are you marked by that in Jesus? that the Holy Spirit, the work he's done in you, the fruit you've been able able to produce, not to get an identity, but because God gave you an identity. We see in Jesus' baptism, his, his temptation, that true identity is what God speaks over us. And that is the only sure foundation of who we are and where to find it. We see that Jesus uses the words of God to refute the devil. We see that those are true words that gets the devil to run away. That's how he counts us, the evil one. We have the word of God in the Bible. We have the same, same power as Jesus in that sense. That if we are born again by Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to understand and have these things situated or grounded in us to have that foundation. We can read and understand and be guided by the Holy Spirit. We see that Jesus trusted in the identity that Jesus that God spoke over him. He was able to stand against the devil and the temptations. He refused to worship any other than the God and God. Jesus was the only one who passed that test. Everybody else has failed. has failed, And that is how Jesus proved who he was. <coughs> the very Son of God. Where the devil wanted him to prove and prove and prove by miracles and satisfy him himself, he waited because he knew the mission of he had from God. And that was how Jesus proved who he was. Not for his own sake, but for the glory of the Father and for our sake. That in his life and death and resurrection, that was the Father's will, that was true worship of God. He lives for the will of the Father. (laughs) Oh, that's. He lived for the will of the Father and he enjoyed relationship, and we are asked to do the same. To live our lives the way Jesus is, always obeying who God is, our lives is true worship of the one true living God. When we fail, we look to Jesus and how he proved who he was. He proved he was the Son of God, with a life with no sin, his death for our sin, his resurrection for our righteousness, and that we can turn back to God because that is our true identity. To belong to God and to run to Him for forgiveness instead of running away. So, when we get up here and speak and when we do these worship services together, it's always our heart to show you how amazing God is, how beautiful God is, who He is, that we'll be reminded about that. That you, as we talk about this, you will be reminded about how beautiful God is and what Christ has done, and that we can silence the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, because the price God has for us in Christ Jesus is so much better than whatever the devil is offering. What do you? What is the price? Well, the prize is to be coales with Christ we are adopted into God's family and I was just reminded about you know the parable of the uh, the two sons that don't like the father it's called um, the prodigal son and when the father talks to the older son that also is misunderstood the father he says like all I have is yours remembering that the prize that God has for us, adoption into his family, that whatever we are offered, it is never as good as being co-heirs with Christ and adopted into God's family. So it just the questions before we wrap up. What is your identity? Are you a child of wrath? Are you a child of God? Have you been trying to find your own identity all the time? I've asked you to stop doing that and run to God for your identity the only true identity all humans have is that they're made in the image of God I'll call you to a life of faith in Jesus Christ so you will be a son and daughter of God adopted into his family and for all of you who are this was just a reminder how important that is when you're faced with temptations and trials. That the more we understand, the more we will live our lives as worship as unto God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for reminding us. You're amazing, amazing God. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy, your love and kindness towards us. Thank you, you stand fast in the identity you've been given by the Father. You're the one who passed the test when all of us failed. And we thank you and praise you for it. Pray for each person here. All of us want to understand that all humans are created in your image. But I also ask that you would help us. Help us live bold lives, worshiping you and inviting other people to become children of God that they will not be children of wrath, but they will get true identity in who you are. So I ask that you move in us and through us, Holy Spirit, to do that. And I ask against the work of the devil, an enemy of doubt, confusion. I pray, Holy Spirit, you give clarity. Help us to honor and praise you every day. Help us to be a um, fellowship that encourages one another, reminds us about these things, reminds us that you're the one who did it perfectly, Jesus. So we thank you and we praise you. All honor and glory be to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I said last time, uh, these uh, sermons are to encourage you They are to challenge you They are not to just make you feel good all the time But they are to encourage and challenge you And so sometimes the Holy Spirit does work in you And then you should probably pray with somebody You should probably talk to somebody afterwards And so if you have somebody you would like to pray with you uh, You would like to share You are wel- very welcome to that I'm here, Hadis Ali Elise here and also, if you came with somebody and you want to sh- uh, pray with them, it takes a few moments here after I give the benediction to pray with people and be like, okay, I would like to do that. Can I share? So, priests, feel free to do that. But let's first stand up and we'll have the benediction together. Uh, some maps. So, we read from Romans, and Paul says to us,